This is quickly becoming the church where you, you learn a new African word every week. It's good for us. I'm not sure how to say in any African dialect, uh, let us pray, but let us pray. Lord, reveal yourself to us this morning. Teach us through your word. Apply it to our minds that we might not grow shallow. And apply it to our hearts that we might not grow cold. And apply it to our feet that we might be doers of the word and not hearers only. Amen. I'm glad you came this morning because I'm going to talk about you. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking about you. And I want you to hear this message so personally that you want to hear more about you from God. Do you remember, those of you who were here, what I began telling you at the very first service of this year, 2015? I said, God wants this to be the very best year you've ever lived in your life. I'm confident of that. Now watch. And I said, regardless of the circumstances. That's not just a disclaimer. There is a happiness and a joy and a fulfillment and a satisfaction that's deeper than any of your circumstances. We actually have proof of that. I don't know how many of you know the name Dan Gilbert. Dan is the uh, professor of psychology at Harvard and he's kind of the resident expert on happiness in the nation. And, and he's done all of these surveys, mounting evidence as to what makes people happy and what makes people unhappy. And, and, and most people miscalculate. They think that some sort of event can make them happy or some sort of event can make them unhappy. They've done studies, for example, um, comparing those who won the lottery, you know, 350 million dollars. And those who were in an accident that made them paraplegic. One year later, after both of those events happened, their level of happiness was about the same. And then through different studies, they have said, they've come up with this theory that, that, that call it an, an impact bias. We think that if this happens to us, good or bad, it will have much more of an impact than it really does. If I get married, I'll be happy. If I lose a relationship, I'll be destroyed. If so-and-so is elected, I'll be happy. If so-and-so is not elected, I'll be destroyed. And a year later, life's pretty much the same. And so happiness Joy, fulfillment, is not about the circumstances. We just said uh, and sang out of the song that says, oh, I just lost the words. Um, Nothing I desire compares with you. Nothing I desire compares with you. So what does God want you to have? God wants you to have such a knowledge of his purpose. No, 
such an experience of his purpose. Because in the Bible, knowledge is not about cognition. It's not about information. Knowledge is about experience. Who we are, how we live. He wants you to have such an experience of his purpose for your life that you have this deep sense of now I know why I was made like I was. Now I know why I've been through what I have. Now I know what is my gift that God is trying to give to the world through me. And so we said, the way you do this is you follow Christ. That's called a disciple. You grow in your discipleship. That is, you grow in your capability and your commitment in following Christ. And you assemble disciples together and you have what Christ envisioned as a church. On you I will build my church, he said to his disciples. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There's hell busting loose all over this world. There's hell busting loose in your lives every day. But this fellowship, this life-giving community that God wants you to have in a personal way is what will bring you to the point where you have what the world can't have. You have a peace that is beyond understanding. You have a joy that's deeper than anything the world can give you or take away. I'm talking to you. Each of us, fearfully and wonderfully made for a purpose which God prepared beforehand. So let me, let me tell you, just out of, the, out of the book of Ephesians, you know, the book of Ephesians has been called um, the, the, the book of spiritual maturity. It talks about, it talks about going on to maturity. And the, and the first part of Ephesians talk about what God did for us. Talk about who we are because of the cross of Christ. It talks about God's grace that saves us. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. We are saved by grace. That's a gift. Saved by grace through faith that is the gift of God, not through works lest any man should boast. For you were created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. And then the second part of Ephesians talks about the walk. Because that's how you make progress, the walk. And so let me just start off with chapter 4, where it's talking about the walk. It says this in Ephesians chapter 4, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Two things I want you to notice there. Walk. How do you, how do you walk? Just take the next step. <laughs> this isn't complicated. You just take the next step. I'm going to tell you just a little bit about this tipping point 
we're in right. This is just to get us to take the next step. That's all this is. Now, what that implies is don't stay where you are. Don't stay where you are. C.S. Lewis once said, being a Christian is kind of like being an egg. You either rot or you hatch. Okay? You can't stay where you are. The world moves on. Things change. Relationships change. They either get better or they get worse, but they never stay like they are. And so you've got to figure out, how can I take the next step? Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Every one of us is called. Called of God. Every one of us. Now watch what it says. When it talks about you, it's not just talking about you as an individual. The you here is plural. And so this is what scripture is saying. I want each of you in the community which I gave you, that is the relationships that you have, I want each of you to make progress and I want you all to make progress together. How does a group, how does our church that has a role that no other church in this world can fulfill? We have a calling on our church that no other church in this world can fulfill. It's absolutely unique. How do we make progress as a church? We all take the next step together. And so that's why verses two and three are all about the qualities that will help us be a part of a group. It goes on to say, with all humility, that's part of what you need to maintain and improve a relationship, and gentleness and patience and showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So what is God telling us to do? He's saying, I want, you to, I want you to make progress. I want you first of all to, to understand that each of you have been called for a special purpose that cannot be done by anybody else but you. That's how sovereign and detailed our God is. And that's how much purpose and meaning each of our lives have. Nobody can do our part that God designed us for. We are called. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, this is what it says. It talks about Christ who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Now stop right there. Most people, when they become Christians, have all their eggs in one basket, and that's called salvation. And, 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 and we just want people to get saved, you know, so they can go to heaven. Nothing wrong with that. But that's not the Bible's only concern. Saved us and called us. Our calling is of equal importance in Scripture. You have a holy calling. Please don't buy into the whole hierarchical church. Well, if, if you're a clergy person, if you're a minister that has been ordained, your calling is holier than everybody else's. No, it's not. It's just a different function. Your calling 
in your relationships as just as holy as my calling in my relationships. This isn't written to clergy. This is written to followers of Christ. Called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Jesus, in Christ Jesus from all eternity. There it is again. He planned on you. He planned on how you're wired. He planned on where you are right now. You're not a surprise to him. And you have a powerful ministry where you are right now. But it won't be powerful if you stay where you are right now. You have to take the next step. Each of us has to take the next step. And it's way more powerful when we take the next step together. That's why Paul would write in Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Could I ask you a question? Do you know what your prize is? See, most of us have no idea what our, that, that, that there's a prize out there waiting on us. You know? That there's a blessing that God has stored up. I'm going to teach you about that in just a minute. Most of us don't realize at what cost our inaction comes to us. You understand the judgment doesn't just happen at the end of time. It happens every day. And you understand the picture that is, that is given to us in Matthew 25 of the judgment. There's only one person who Jesus is really kind of ticked with. And this is what it says. There was a person who got a talent and he buried it. And Jesus said, what are you, what are you doing? Why'd you do that? Why didn't you use what I gave you? And in Matthew 25, verse 25, it says this. Well, I was afraid. I was afraid. And I went away and I hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. See, I'm, I'm just giving it back to you. <laughs> but his master answered and said to him, you wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I do not sow and I gather where, where, uh, where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money at least in the bank. And on arrival, I would have received my money back at least with some interest. Invested in something. See, we can't just keep what God's given us. Because we face a judgment. Do you know that judgment comes every day? When we're too afraid to use what God has given us for the benefit and the investment in other people? You know it comes every day? We live in fear instead of in Fulfillment and satisfaction? Entering into the joy of our master? It's really important for us to understand. We have a really 
faulty theology if we think God only enters into our lives periodically. You know, that's basically our prayer life. God, I want you to come and do this for me. You know, God, I want you to come into my life and act at such and such a way. And so we have this God who only intervenes at certain points. That's not what scripture says. Scripture says God walks with us every day. We just don't see it because we're waiting on these big events that will make us happy. These big events that will make us safe. And that's why our prayers are so stunted because they're so limited. Instead of praying for God to do stuff, we ought to pray that God would open our eyes to the stuff he's doing all around us. That our every day would come to a point where if something big does come along, we have walked and practiced with God every day. We have done our responsibility to him every day. Do you, you understand, don't you, that David was really good with a sling before he ever met Goliath? Everybody understands that? That's what a shepherd did. He took those stones. Every day, David had a sling and a stone in his hand. And when something attacked his sheep, it was not any better off. So that when Goliath came, he was ready. Do you understand? Every day, God is working through your life. Every day, with every relationship. C.S. Lewis once said, you know, we think of miracles as these grand interventions of something strange that God has done in our life. But really a miracle is just a local event that you can recognize of a general principle God does all the time. You think it was a a miracle that God, that Jesus turned water into wine at the wedding feast? Well, of course it was. But you understand, don't you? God does that every day. The water enters into the roots of the vine in the vineyard. And the water travels up and gives life and growth to the grape. And the grape, when it's harvested, eventually turns into wine. God turns water into wine every day, but we don't recognize it because it's so normal. You think it was a miracle when Jesus healed people. Of course it was. And every once in a while, he does that. He still does it. But do you understand? You're here today because God has healed you every day. Otherwise, you'd be dead. There are a thousand, a thousand bacteria, viruses that are attacking you all the time. And God is healing you every day. So what should we look for? We should look for God to be working through us in our normal relationships, every day, 
And that's how he creates the miracle of the transformation of our lives and this world. Friday morning, I was at a, a sheriff's prayer breakfast. We, we have this annually where the sheriffs and the ministers get together and we have a prayer breakfast and so it's, it's wonderful. We have, a, we have such a great relationship with the law enforcement in this community. I mean, it's just absolutely wonderful. We're in this together. We are in this together. Both the, both the, 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 the city and county officials and the law enforcement and the, and the, and the churches and, the, and the, you know, all the religious community. We're so in this together. I love this. But we have this, we have this um, prayer breakfast every year. And this year, the guest speaker was this guy who, this officer, who had gotten shot at point blank range with a shotgun in his stomach as he was trying to protect this car dealership under attack from a gunman. And he was able to take the gunman out, but in this huge hole, and there was a 3% chance that he would live. 3%. And God spared his life. And when they called him up, and when we saw the video on this guy, you could see that he would be impacted for the rest of his life. He's had a stroke. He has a limp. And he got up, and he wasn't much of a speaker. And he didn't claim to be. He mostly just got teary-eyed, and he thanked God that he was still alive, and he he thanked God for his wife and his two little girls that were sitting in the front table. He thanked God that he had more time with them. And he said, I don't know what people do without faith, but I know I couldn't do what I do without my faith. And then he just said, thank you. And he limped back to his chair and that was it. It was one of the most touching talks I'd ever seen because it wasn't graphic and spectacular. It was just a man thanking God for what he had. And in him I saw you. Because every day you lay down your life for others. Maybe it's not spectacular. Maybe it doesn't get awards, but you lay it down for your family and you lay it down for your friends. And so many of you have been wounded because you have loved. And you know that's what love costs. But you wouldn't have had it any other way. And many of you will walk with a limp, for the rest of your life. And God wants you to know that he loves you and appreciates you because you're doing what Jesus did. You're laying down your life for others who may or may not appreciate it. So I want us to understand that this tipping point that we're at 
for our lives and for our church isn't about some spectacular event. It's about finally understanding what God's going to do with prayer and finally understanding how God operates. When we pray, what happens? Well, it says in Isaiah chapter 46, verses 3 and 4, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel. That'd be us. You who have been born by me from birth and have been carried from the womb, is my favorite part, even to your old age, will I, will, uh, I will be the same. And even to your graying years, I will bear you. I have done it. I will carry you. I will bear you. And I will deliver you. God is saying that. I'm there for you every day of your life. And I want you to know it. And I want you to recognize it. And I want you to feel my presence. And I want you to understand that I'm guiding your steps. You can make your plans. I'm guiding your steps. I want you to open your eyes. You think you're surrounded. You think you're in a tight spot. I understand. And every time I say this, I, I think back to one of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible. In Elisha. Remember this story in Elisha where, where, where Elisha uh, is in a tent with his, ser his servant and his servant wakes up early in the morning and goes outside the tent and sees all of the enemy has surrounded them in the middle of the night. And he just wants to pass out. He just absolutely wants to, you know, it's just like, oh, no. And so he goes into Elisha and he wakes him up. He says, I, I, I want you to come out and see. And Elisha comes out and you can just picture this. And Elisha looks all around and just starts grinning. And the servant looks at him and says, why are you grinning? Well, why are you smiling? And Elisha prays this. I love this. First Kings 6, 17. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the servant and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Now let me translate that for you. Yes, they were surrounded by the enemy. Yes, you are facing difficult circumstances. But guess who the enemy is surrounded by? The heavenly host. Your enemy is the one that is surrounded. You understand? God's going to get you through this. You need to understand that. Open your eyes and see what God has given you. This is what it says in Isaiah 65. It will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. In other words, God doesn't wait for us to pray. God's already on the move. 
It's not we pray so we can see God act in the future. It's we pray so we can see what God's doing all around us. And what he's given us in order to accomplish the mission he's given us. Because when we begin to understand that, we'll begin to understand that when he planned us, when he planned us, when he planned each of us, he planned a certain amount of blessings that as we walked, as we took the next step, we would begin to receive, we would begin to realize. It says in Psalm 131, 19, how abundant are the good things that you have stored up. Say that with me. Stored up, say that word. Stored up, you have blessings stored up just for you. For those who reverence you, fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all on those who take refuge in you. As you believe, as you walk, you begin to realize those. So, how do we take the next step? Well, first of all, it's got to be something you do. It's not just, it can't be something you do up here. That's why that prayer says, apply it to our feet, that we might be doers of the word and not hearers only. And so that's why, that's why we're, we're doing this. It's, it's just something we can do in a concrete way. I want you to take out this brochure just for a second. And we're going to turn these in next week, and it's going to be a celebration. It's going to be a party next week. It's going to be a lot of fun because you celebrate when people are taking the next step together. I don't, need to, I don't need to explain, it's so simple. I don't need to explain all this to you, but let me tell you why it's so specific. Because unless our next step is a concrete commitment, we probably won't take it. We need something practical. We're action-oriented people. We're physical people. And that's why next week physically, we're gonna be moving down here and we're gonna be putting these in baskets. We're physical people. And so we need to take concrete steps to know I'm taking my next step with God, not only in my giving, but in my living. And, 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 and not to leave the students out because the students are also free moral agents. They are people. And we want them to take responsibility just as every adult is taking responsibility. So this is for the students, the green one. Ages or grades one through 12, and we want to challenge them. Pray, do what God says. It's that simple. Lord, what should I do? I'll, 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 I, will, I will use this to help me pray. Just help me check a box, all right? And help me to put down my information so that it's me, and I'm making a commitment. And it's practical and it's concrete and it's identifiable and it's more than just something I have purposed in my heart. It's a commitment to the community that I belong to. You remember the original verse that you may be, are called to a calling. Each of us in the group we are in. 
So that's what we're going to do next week. And I want to challenge every one of you, or, or if it's a man and a wife and you, and you do your giving together, then, then you feel... Now, let me say this. The church has so much bad baggage. And every time we mention money or action, recruitment of any sort, it's like, oh, here we go again, I'm talking about money. And I knew they'd get around to it. You need to understand this. The church is in great financial shape. This is not about money. But there's no way we can fully commit ourselves without a financial aspect to it. There isn't, because that's, that's why we live. That's what we talk about. That's how we think. And so this is about our heart. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's what Jesus taught us. So this is about our heart. Having said that, some of you are in excruciating places right now. You're not getting any money. Those of you in, 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 in uh, um, incarceration, you know, you haven't got any money coming in. So you go, wow, what, what can I do with this? Pray. Do whatever God says. It's that simple. Some of you, I mentioned before the suffering that, 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 that we go through. Some of you are in such a difficult time of life right now. You're just one big ball of pain. As a matter of fact, it's very hard for you to listen to anything I have to say. Because you want to, but everything I say reminds you of something else that hurts. And so you just keep going back to, the, listen, we don't do guilt here. We don't do pressure. We don't do anything. We're not trying to artificially make you do something for the institution of the church. But the reason this is important for every one of us is if you're in a place of pain, if you're in a place of poverty, you will stay there until you take a next step. You understand? This is about taking the next step to overcome the poverty you were in, to overcome the pain you were in. Somebody has said, if you're in hell, if you're walking through hell, don't stop because you'll just be stuck there. And we don't want people stuck in hell. We don't want people stuck in pain. We don't want people stuck in poverty. We don't want people stuck in unbelief. We want all of us responding to God, say, God, what's my next step? Lead me, I'll follow. That's why we're doing this. And then ultimately, we need to understand, even though as we walk into the future together, and this is gonna take a while, but as we walk into the future together and you begin to realize how important you are for the mission God has for the entire world. How important it is that you gather around people who can speak into your life and pull out stuff you had no idea was there. As we form these personal churches, as you begin to realize all of this, here's what I hope all of us ultimately realize. Two things, how God acts and how important it is for us to glorify him and him alone. Here's how God acts. For all of us waiting for God to swoop down and be the star of the show, there are times when he does that, but that's not how he usually acts. 
I was listening to a tape the other day, one of my old sermons, and it had a reference. This is 25 years ago to this Christian school that, that uh, asked both Vernon and I to come out and do a, a devotional time. And it's very unusual, you know, even probably even back then for us to both go together, you know, but, but apparently there was a reason for us to be there together. And so, and so one of the things they wanted Pastor Vernon to do is to teach them to sing um, parts of Psalm 139. Uh, Search me, and try me, O God, and know my heart. You've heard him sing that, right? It's gorgeous. When he sings that, I just want to melt. I just want to go, oh, that's all I need, oh. And so he's teaching these school kids to sing. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, thinking to myself, Vernon, you've got this astounding voice. Sing out. I want them to hear your voice. I want them to, I want to belt it out, Vernon. Come on. I need to hear your voice. Just belt it out. But he stayed underneath their voices the entire time. And I finally realized he was there for them. He wasn't there for him. He wasn't there to be the star of the show. He wasn't there to do a solo. God isn't here to do solos. The reason we don't see him more explicitly is because he's staying under us. He's lifting our voices. He's put in us gifts to distribute to the world. That's how he acts. That's who the Holy Spirit is. So many times to hear him at all, you're going to have to listen really hard. You're going to have to notice more than ordinary because God's not here to do a solo. The second thing I want all of us to understand is this. That when it comes right down to it for an eternity, our greatest moments will be spent in simply giving God the glory for anything he does. I know I keep saying this is about us realizing our purpose, but it's really about us realizing our purpose giver and telling him how important that is to us. Years ago, my stepfather, who, bless his heart, there was nothing extraordinary about this man. I love this man. But most of you know that my father died when I was four years old. He was dashing and brave and someone everybody loved, great deal of charisma. And some years later, my my mom just married this ordinary guy. Everything about him was ordinary. He'd lived with his mother and a cat until he was 40 years old. Just kind of lived that kind of life, you know? Totally dependable. He was a good Catholic man, but would never talk. Back in those days, you didn't talk about religion. Catholics and Protestants didn't, you know, it just... And so here he is, he's so weak, he's had strokes, he's in a nursing home. And I flew up to visit him and I knew I wouldn't be there very long and probably this would be the last time I got to talk to him when he understood what I was saying. He, he understood everything that was going on but he, his strokes limited him to one word. He could only say right 
was the only word he could say. So I sat there and I labored for a conversation that he could respond to with that word. And I said stuff like, Dad, do you remember the trips we used to take to Michigan? Will you let me drive the boat? Right. Remember how when you talk, we caught the fish, we'd, we'd take them into those old fish cleaning houses where they'd, you know, rip screens and they're just, you know, plank with a hole in it and you just put the fish guts down there in the bucket and the flies were all around. It was horrible. All right. I never thanked you. Remember when you'd go into work every day? My dad had one of the worst jobs. He made carbon paper. Some of you young people don't know what carbon paper is. That's how we used to make copies. It was called carbon paper. And at the Shelby Business Forums, that's what he did. And he would come home every night covered in this stuff. He'd have to boil his clothes every night. And every day he'd go into the factory just to put food on the table. And I said, Dad, do you remember when you'd go to work every day? And I used to think, how can he do that? How can he do that? But I want to tell you something. That's how I go to work every day now. I go in and I do my very best with whatever's there. And I learned that from you. And he said, right? And I said, Dad, I used to get up every once in a while of the night and I'd notice you were ready to go to work and you were having your breakfast and you had your rosary out and you were praying your beads. And we never got to talk about faith. Because in that day, Catholics didn't talk with Protestants and Protestants didn't talk with Catholics. We didn't have a Pope Francis. We just had a giant chasm. My dad never stepped foot into one of the churches that I was pastoring. He couldn't because he was old school. <laughs> but I said, Dad, I never got to tell you the impact it had on me to see you praying every morning and the impact it's having on others because I saw you pray every morning. And by this time, the tears were starting to come. And he just said, right. Do you know what we need to do with our Heavenly Father? We need to tell Him every day we live what His gifts have meant to us and how we're using them to make this world different and to help people come to love Him and to know Him. And so right now, I'm gonna pray for our prayers this week, all right? I'm gonna turn around because 
My old style when I was a Methodist preacher is that you turn around and you face the altar and you led the congregation, being one of the congregation, praying to the Father. So I'm going to kneel down. I want the worship team to come out. I'm going to kneel down and I'm just going to pray briefly that God will let us hear from him, each of us, no matter where you are, each of us. Let us hear from him this week so that we can take the next step. Please pray with me. Father, we come because we love you and we love you because you have first loved us. You had a plan for each one of our lives and we know that you still have a plan for each one of our lives and so this is what we ask. As we pray to you this week, and we say, Lord, give me an inkling of what I could do next. Give me an inkling of my next step of giving and my next step of living. And I pray not only for myself, but for all of my church family. We pray, Lord, that you will let us know what you personally want us to do by that inkling. And ultimately, Lord, we pray that all through this process, you will build our faith because we want everything we do to be a part of following you.